Are you looking to sharpen your command and leadership skills? The 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference is coming back to the Sharonville Convention Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, September 30th through October 4th. Immerse yourself in five days of targeted command education and leadership training at the 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference. This is your opportunity to recharge your command skills and stay at the forefront of incident command best practices. This year, we've added a certification lab, September 30th through October 2nd. Also added a May Day workshop, October 1st to October 2nd. The general conference is on October 3rd and 4th. The May Day workshop is filling up fast, and our early bird pricing of $415 each for the general conference is a limited time offer. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Register now at HazardZoneBC.com. Welcome to this B-Shifter, John Vance, Josh Bloom, and today a very special guest. We've got Battalion Chief Steve Lester of the Cobb County Fire Department, and he is going to be one of our presenters at the 2023 Hazard Zone Conference, and we also have featured Cobb County a lot in the past with some of the radio traffic that we uh, feature from the Blue Card Department. Uh, Chief Lester, tell us a little bit about Cobb County, first of all, and how you operate there with your your department. Well, first off, John, let me just say thanks for having me on the podcast. This is a this is a great opportunity uh, to uh, to showcase what we're doing here in Cobb County and uh, talk about what I'm going to be doing at the conference. Uh, just to give you kind of a rundown of uh, Cobb County Fire Department. We developed in uh, 1971. Uh, came together as several districts. Uh, we were pre- that was previously volunteer came together as a paid department in 1971. Um, we currently have 29 stations, uh, servicing unincorporated Cobb County. We also work alongside three other, uh, city departments, uh, within our jurisdiction where we have, uh, automatic and mutual aid agreements with. Uh, I think the last time we looked at the population was around, uh, 700,000, I believe in the, in the county. And we have about 700 employees currently operating in uh, in operations. Now, how many fires are you guys going to on a, on a regular basis? Uh, it's pretty typical uh, throughout the nation, about 80-20, I would say, mm-hmm. 80%, 80% uh, EMS and medical related uh, and, and 20% uh, structural or, uh, yeah, probably 80% or 20% structural fires. Okay. Well, what we want to talk about today is command presence, command confidence, maybe a little bit of command confidence and these might be some of the things you're talking about at the hazard zone conference on october 5th and 6th give us a preview of what your class is going to be about before we get into our main topic well uh so my class that i'm presenting at the hazard conference is going to be uh basically a couple of case studies i'll be looking at a, a successful rescue that we had uh uh back in uh August, I believe it was, of 2022, and then the other incident, which, crazily enough, occurred on the same property uh, a year a year beforehand in November of 2021, where we had uh, an apartment building that uh, we had to make a strategic shift on. So we're going to be playing the audio from each one of those incidents, going to be breaking that down, uh, looking at some division operations, 
looking at uh, transfer of command, making that strategic shift, uh, getting those people out and accounted for, uh, things of that nature. So it should be a pretty good discussion. Yeah, we look forward to it. It's going to be a great conference. If you have not registered already, bshifter.com. It is the place for incident commanders, fire service leaders. We'll recharge our batteries, get a lot of knowledge, have some good networking, and uh, learn a lot over those two days in Cincinnati. So we are looking forward to that. So let's get into it. Command presence. Why is it important for us as the IC to have a presence on the fire ground? Uh, Well, I think it's of the utmost importance. You know, I mean, when you think about command presence in general, uh, I think a good definition of that is probably really just the way that leaders uh, present themselves uh, to their people. You know, uh, when I think about command presence, I think back to uh, the old John Wayne movies. You know, uh, when you when you, you you see John Wayne, any whatever character he he was playing uh, in those days, he always had command presence. It, whether he was uh, a Green Beret colonel, or if he was a, a marshal, or if he was uh, commanding the cavalry, or whatever that looked like, he always was on the screen with command presence. Uh, another person uh, that I would I could relate to that would be Denzel Washington. Uh, you ever watch any Denzel Washington movies? No matter what character he's playing, he always presents himself with with command presence. Uh, so basically, uh, what, what we're looking at with command presence, uh, in my personal interpretation of it, uh, I break it down to kind of like the three C's of command presence, uh, and that being uh, competence, confidence, and control. You got to have all three of those things to have good command presence on the fire ground. Well, let's start off with competence then. How how do we become competent? First of all, as an IC, how do we develop it? How do we mentor that? Well, I mean, with competence, I mean, the, you know, first and foremost, you've got to be good in the in the blue card world. That kind of what we would probably present that as is well rehearsed. Uh, you know, in the communications piece of blue card. That's why we go through the certification module. That's why we do the sets and reps, you know, good initial radio reports, good follow-up reports, uh, making those assignments using, using task, location, and objective, uh, making good command transfers, uh, doing a strategic shift when you need to, being prepared to do that. Uh, that's the competence piece of it. And I think that's what's so important about the blue card program and that 40 hour online piece that we do is that it drives those things into your brain and it forces out those bad habits that you, that you may have had in the past, uh, and makes you competent in the system. And most, I think I would say, uh, you know, that most incident commanders out there, if they're not practiced and they're not well rehearsed, then that competence piece just doesn't show through. Aside from blue card, because it is an important tool in developing ICs, how else do we um, get the sets and reps for for up-and-coming incident commanders? Well, I I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience, but, uh, you know, it's just practice. Um, You know, it's kind of embarrassing to even say, but, I mean, I've, I've even, like, on my way to work in the morning, on the way to the station, you know, setting at a red light, pick out a building and just give an incident, uh, uh, initial radio report, you know, or, or practicing that command transfer. Maybe a lot of talking to yourself. I don't know. Maybe there's a maybe there's a mental health aspect there. I don't even, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, you've got to uh, you've got to practice, you you know, and like we were talking about with the 80 20, I mean, we're just not going to fires uh, like we were 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, so we have to have that training piece in place because you were just you were just not getting the uh 
the sets and reps and the practice by going to incidents. Then when we start talking about command confidence, what does that look like, sound like, and what does it do for the fire ground? I think that's a, that's, that's a twofold confidence. That's uh, not only a confidence in yourself and self-confidence as an IC, but you also got to have confidence in your people. Uh, I think confidence in yourself is probably the greater of the two. Uh, you know, to have self-confidence as an IC, first and foremost, you got to have knowledge. Uh, that's learning the command system or the, or the blue card, uh, method. Uh, you got to have practice that we get that through running simulations, uh, practicing drills. Um, like we talked about on the way, uh, you know, looking at a structure, giving instant rate report, things like that. Uh, and then there is that experience, uh, aspect of self-confidence. You know, that's why we don't let three-year firefighters test for battalion chief because there is a series, it's, it's a journey, you know, you, 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 you go from firefighter to driver to company officer, uh, to chief officer. There's a reason behind that because we have to get that experience under our belt in order to be self-confident as is the commander. I have to have been in that situation before in some shape, form or fashion and know, okay, I've been here. I know what this is like before, and I can work through it. I, I don't want to ask you something about confidence just a little bit, because we've used some audio in the past, and it's going to come up. I think you're using it at the conference. I think it's the same incident where where uh, I think it was you, you were the incident commander and Alpha was assigned, and you were ready to make a strategic shift. And then that tactical boss said, Command, if you just give us a second, I got these companies in place. And I think we might be able to get it. And I want to get it all clear. And you had that you as the incident commander had no hesitation of, mm. okay, we're going to go with that. And and I think that's the piece of, of that relationship, not just with companies, but with all of your colleagues and everybody that you work with on, okay, well, this, this is a team effort. We're all in this together. Right. So that, yeah. I think that confidence thing that you had in that person is because you had in your mindset of, okay, they're competent. I put them into a place to make decisions. They're there to help me, right? And right. and you had confidence in making that decision. And then, okay, well, I'm going to give you a little bit then because you had you know that, that person a little bit closer that could feel it, taste it, touch it as a tactical boss like we talked about that was maybe in a little better position than you were to say, okay, well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a little bit. It wasn't necessarily yeah. a company saying that. And it was somebody else that 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 you know. You know their skill set. You've probably worked with them before. You know where they've been, what they've done, right? So, I mean, I think that's a huge part of this whole, you know, confidence thing. Um, I compare it so many times to, you know, if you got a quarterback that'll stand in the pocket, they got some confidence, and that line is not going to let nobody get to them, right? Well, the incident commander is protected by the company officers, everybody on the fire ground, the other people who they put in support positions and your guys's case that that person who drives you around or you drive them around, whichever, whichever way that works in your system, but that, that you have that, you know, support piece to help us with that, with that, you know, confidence level that we can, uh, we can kind of do more and take on more because we built this team and the system to, to manage it, to manage the event. Let's take a quick break. Enhance fire ground leadership with our critical thinking and strategic decision-making class designed to strengthen incident command 
through the functions of command and foster a safer, more effective decision-making process for fire service professionals. The only critical thinking and strategic decision-making class at the Allen V. Brunacini Command Training Center in Phoenix, Arizona is May 22nd and 23rd. Sign up at bshifter.com. Yeah, and 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 I would be remiss if I didn't mention that's uh, that's Battalion Chief Kevin Lewis that you hear in that audio, uh, who is who's also uh, he's pretty well known in the uh, in the in the world of search. Uh, him and uh, Captain Sean Gray do a lot of teaching all over the country. They've taught at Firehouse, FDIC, uh, things like that. So uh, you know, I have extreme confidence in him. He and I have worked together for twenty five plus years. Uh, I have served as his. Uh, as his uh, division supervisor, and he's served as my division supervisor in the past. We, we've we've worked very well together over the years. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is that piece there. He's seeing something that I'm not seeing because uh, I'm sitting in the command post. Um, he has a different angle, and I have to go with that. You know, uh, but I will say to the contrary. I mean, there is a time when you know you have to make that judgment call and say, "Hey, we've we've done enough, and and it's time to pull the plug," so to speak. But yeah, that's that's huge. That's huge, and that's why uh, that's why I think it's so important too that that we assign that that division supervisor uh, is a battalion chief rank um, because it, you know I, I know some jurisdictions may may play that down to to the company officer level, and I mean you do what you got to do given your resources. But I think having that having that chief officer in that role uh, with that level of experience and knowledge and expertise, uh, really helps that incident commander, uh, drive that incident action plan. And what's the third C that we're talking about? The third C is, uh, is control. And that is, uh, there again, you know, I, I kind of divide that up into self-control and control of the situation. Really control is just the the power of influence or or being able to direct someone's behavior. Um, you know, self-control that's of course is the biggest piece of that. Um, you've got to, you've got to be able to process the stress, you know, and be able to deal with that, uh, with that sympathetic nervous system response that you get from, oh boy, I'm in charge and it's on me now. You know, the buck stops here. You've got to be able to control that surge and be able to function. Uh, I think there's a lot of different methods that you can use with that. Um, I personally, uh, I like to use cardiovascular conditioning. I know I've read studies where it says that if you're in good cardiovascular health, you're e- it's easier for you to deal with that sympathetic response and your body is used to that. You're used to that increased heart rate, that increased breathing, so your body can control that better. Um, I try my very best to do a minimum of 30 minutes of cardiovascular conditioning every morning when I get to work. Uh, that's part of my daily routine. Uh, the guys at the firehouse know that chief is in the gym from 6 a.m. to 6.30 every morning. If you want to find me, that's where I'm at. I'm on the treadmill or the Stairmaster. Um, and so I try to, to, to stay in good cardiovascular conditioning for that reason. Not only that, but that to me, that also is a good um, role model for them or it uh, gives them a good example so that they can do the same. The, the other the other part of the control aspect is uh, getting control of the situation. You got to be the one that comes in and gets control. I mean, uh, you got to be, be able to uh, uh, to be able to take the reins and uh, and be able to start from scratch if you need to. I mean, if uh, if those initial actions haven't been done, that initial raid report, that walk around, you may get there and none of that's been done. You have to start from scratch. You may be the first one to get there as the uh, as the strategic incident commander, and you have to start from scratch. You may uh, you may get there and uh, things are going bad, and you may have to call an audible. 
you know, right in the middle of the incident. You've got to be able to take control of that and do it. Uh, I think on one of your previous podcasts, I remember uh, Nick talking about uh, when he was shift commander pulling up and, and seeing, hey, this is not going well and just, hey, I'm taking it and we're going defensive. Boom. Strategic shift right off the get go. As soon as he cues up the mic, uh, you know, you may have to do that. You got to be able to take control of that. In the uh, one of the uh, examples in my class where we talk about the successful rescue, I pulled up on the scene as the uh, as the strategic incident commander. I think I was third due. There was uh, two engines on the scene at the time. Uh, they were all hands rescue. I had one I had one crew that were all in all in on rescue. I had the other crew was was stretching a line for fire control. I knew they were task saturated. I could see the building. I knew what was going on. I knew the action, the incident action plan. I did not take the time to do a command transfer. I took it and I went with it. And uh, that's part of getting control of the situation is you have to be able to do that in a moment's notice. What happens when we don't? I think the three of us have been in systems or with ICs that don't have these three C's. And uh, we know the kind of angst and anxiety that creates on the fire ground. What what else happens if, if we're not following? Well, bad things could happen. If you don't have command and control, then it's, you know, it's just nothing but freelancing at that point. Guys, I mean, you know, firefighters, firefighters are going to do what they got to do to get the job done. And if we don't control them on the fire ground, they're going to they're going to do whatever it takes. And we're going to lose command and lose accountability. And when that happens, bad things result. Do, does the competent confidence and control, do, do you feel like those build on each other? Like you really you really can't get to control if you don't have the other two. And I don't know that you can get to being confident if you're not competent. And if you are, if you are confident and you're not confident, that's very dangerous. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you, how do you, how do you think those three really connect? Well, I, I think you're exactly right there, Josh. I think, you know, you have to start with the competence piece and the competence piece is, is going through the program, uh, getting certified, uh, you know, continuing the, the steps and reps. And, and let me just say too, uh, you know, competence is a two way, that's a two dimensional thing. You know, you, you, not only do you as an incident commander have to be competent, but you have to know that your people are competent. And, and the only way you can do that is through drilling. You know, I, I tell my folks all the time, you know, there's, there's, there's training and then there's drilling. Training is, hey, we're all getting together. We're going to sit down and we're going to go over and we're going to, we're going to practice. We're going to learn a, a new skill or we're going to practice some previous skills to reinforce. Drilling is we're all going down to the training tower. We're going to, we're going to put some bubblegum smoke in the building I'm going to give you a scenario and three, two, one, go. That's a drill. And I think the only way you truly know as an incident commander that your people are competent to do the job is through drilling. Uh, I make a point to do a minimum of two drills in my battalion a year uh, where we go down, the guys come in blind. I don't tell them anything about the scenario and it's three, two, one, go. And we go yeah. from there. Yeah, and that's awesome, right? The place to find out some places where you might need to train or, or do better or to identify, hey, if I have a specific thing, th th this this person or this group is going to be better for that is, is definitely in the controlled environment, right? I mean, absolutely. The, the place to try to figure it out isn't when something has gone bad. We talk about that with air management. Like when your bell's ringing and shit goes sideways, it's too late. So, I mean, you're, what you're doing with that drill thing is, you know, that's awesome because you're, you're figuring out as the IC – what is my real capability? I mean, you're, you're running the full scale exercise before the bell rings. Well, you take a, you take a task, a fire ground task, like vertical ventilation, you know, not every, not every 
one in your in your battalion or your organization for that matter is going to be competent at vertical ventilation you you need a you know i had a a really good mentor of mine uh battalion chief john kniff he retired last year you know his adage when it came to vertical ventilation was you got to have three things in order for ventilation to go correctly you got to have the right building you got to have the right fire but most importantly, you got to have the right crew. You got to have a crew that is trained and inversed on that procedure and, and, and knows what they're doing, who has been on roofs before, who has made those cuts and can get the job done. That's a great, that's a great adage because it, it, it forces you down that path. Well, his whole mindset was decision-making, right? Like exactly. It starts with what is really going on here and what do we need to do? And is this going to benefit or not? I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, so, so the, the, to talk about the rescue thing, the confidence in the rescue thing, uh, it, it, it blows me away. I think I've heard it twice now, or I believe on a couple different incidents where the search crew, you know, finds somebody, gives a good can report and includes, hey, we're going to need a cyano kit on the alpha side. That didn't happen because that happened because you trained on it. Right. That happened because you yeah. trained on it. And that happened probably because, I mean, maybe it came out in a drill like, hey, we need to know. Right. But the need, I mean, it's a need. Right. So you can tell the difference between people who say, oh, yeah, we we do all of these things. And then the people who say they do it, but they really do it. Because when somebody finds somebody and they got the scream going and it's like, what are they saying and where are they going and what are they doing? Right. Versus yeah. uh, who engine 741 to command priority traffic we found a victim we're coming out the alpha side we're going to need the cyano kit and the search isn't complete it's like they've talked about that they've trained on that before those people were confident competent right and maintain control of themselves which just puts you in a better position you know to to keep managing the event and to manage you know that that specific problem that that the that they identified that needs to be addressed yeah, you know, we're 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 very fortunate in our organization. You know, we have we have the funding available uh to be able to purchase those kits. I think uh the last time I heard from our EMS chief, those things were about six hundred bucks a piece. Uh and we had an incident uh just a few weeks ago where we used four of them on one incident. Um we have a, a specialized unit within our department, uh, our medical operations team that respond. Uh, when we balance the alarm on any structure fire, they automatically get dispatched. They they come to the scene. They're transport capable, uh, which we do not transport as an agency, but they are a transport capable unit. Um, but they come with multiple cyano kits. They come with the ability for airway control, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I preach in my battalion uh, constantly about the formation of medical group. Uh, when we get that first that first due ALS unit, if they're not if they're not first due, if they're not actually helping stretch a line, or if they're not actually searching, they're going to be on the alpha side most likely as medical group. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of medical group, and I tell my guys, uh, you know, we can make the sexiest grabs uh, ever on the fire ground and and come out and high five, but if we can't take care of them when they hit the front yard, then what we've done is for nothing. And we have to be able to provide that uh, that life support of care, emergency medical care that it takes and get them to the appropriate facility. A number of years ago, a large urban department that did not do EMS at the time would routinely drag their victims to the front yard and leave them there and then go back in fighting fire without rendering aid at all. 
you know, what's the whole point if we're going to drag somebody out and do this rescue, if we don't set up the appropriate treatment and uh, take care of them after we get them out of the fire? You know, at that point, the building might be gone, but now life is still number one. So let's take care of those victims. I, I've heard that on your audio, and I just thought that was great because there was no question as to where that treatment was going to take place and where the, the medical aid was going to be needed and who was doing it. It wasn't leaving it up for uh, debate or up for grabs because then you end up with this freelancing situation. And I think for some of us that don't make those rescues on a regular basis, if you as the IC aren't defining who is going to take care of the patient, then everyone's going to take care of the patient. Kind of the opposite of that major urban fire department, where then suddenly you don't have anybody fighting the fire. So I think to have that very controlled um, plan when you bring somebody out is essential to, to not only taking care of that victim, but continuing to make sure that you're fighting the fire or completing your search or whatever else needs to be done on that scene. Absolutely. And I, I just real quickly, I, I kind of dive into where that where that kind of came from for me. We had a fire several years ago where uh, we had some helmet cam footage uh, that made its way through the department and, and the crew did a great job with with the grab. I mean, they they went in they went in VES uh through the through a bedroom window uh got this lady took her down a ladder uh she uh it was a it was a very successful grab in in terms of search but just like you said with that urban fire department when she hit the ground it was like okay we're done and i thought to myself why are we doing this and then i i go back to you know my days as a as a firefighter or even a young company officer uh where that's what we did when we went to the tower we grabbed the dummy we brought them down the ladder and then we just dropped it and said, okay, we're done. And we either went to rehab or we went back in and finished the search or whatever. And it's that muscle memory over time that uh, has developed that. So in seeing that, I, I decided then, you know, we've got to make a change uh, at, at, at least my battalion level. And so now when I drill, you know, when, when they bring a victim out on one of my drills, you know, they, they start compressions and they start medical care and they don't, they don't stop until they're relieved. And so that, there again we're trying to retrain uh that muscle memory we saw the same thing happening when we were uh first got the flashover chamber and uh inside the flashover chamber you pencil 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 don't put the fire out all the way then we get to a regular fire you know rocking and rolling and people were penciling in hallways and just penciling in the room it's like why aren't you flowing water well, because the muscle memory, because that's what they did. So now there's a huge disclaimer when we go to those flashover chambers or other simulated fires, like you got to put it out. You got to, you got to flow the water and put it out. And what we do on the training ground is what we're going to do on the fire ground. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Building it is really good. So with these three C's, how much of that starts in the, in the firehouse for, for you? I think from a competency standpoint, that that certainly can start in the firehouse, you know, with with training and and drilling. Well, I mean, I mean, of course, it originally begins in, at the beginning of your career in the academy and, and, it, and it builds from there. Uh, confidence, you know, comes. I think that comes from running calls more than anything and, and training with your crew. Uh, control is something that you have to develop personally. The relationship that you have with your support officer and and in in Cobb County, are you running with somebody as your as your aide or your driver or a support officer, or are they are they in a separate vehicle? How do you operate that way? Uh, yeah, I, I have a chief's aide. Every every battalion chief, we have five battalions within the county, and every every battalion chief has an aide, a designated aide, and it's actually a requirement for us uh, to keep that aide with us at all times. Like even when we're short staffed. 
uh, our command staff would actually prefer us to shut down a, a unit versus for us to run by ourselves. They put that much emphasis on having that support officer in the vehicle with us. That's fantastic because yeah. a lot of times that's the hard sell or you have to apologize almost for having that position, but we know that's a game changer. So working <laughs> with that aid, how how do you communicate with them? What What's the expectations and, and how do you develop them so they become your, uh, for lack of the better word, uh, yeah. apprentice? Well, first off, let me let me just say, I, I, you know, I talked to I talked to uh, battalion chiefs and other jurisdictions and other departments, uh, neighboring departments, you know, and they're all jealous. They hate they, they you know, they oh, I have to do this by myself or I have to drive and worry about writing down what's going on, writing, writing down assignments and and keeping track of what's going on and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to reemphasize how how blessed we are to have those guys uh, in the car with us. Uh, but mainly, you know, what happens is, you know, he, they're number one, first and foremost, they get us where we need to be. Uh, that frees me up that I don't have to worry about emergency driving. My driver's taking care of that. I can, uh, I always pull up all, we have, uh, our GIS system within, in the county. I don't know if you guys are familiar with GIS, but it's like a, uh, global information systems. I think is what it's, what it's known for. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's a mapping system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we use that. I, I usually, I take care. I tell my guys, Hey, I'm going to pull up and tell you where your hydrants are. I don't want you guys have to worry about that. I want you to, if you're first due, I want you to be worried about getting dressed and and telling your telling your crew what you're going to do and doing your size up you know and i so i always pull up the hydrant information i relay that to everybody that's coming into the scene uh that frees me up to do that it frees me up to keep track of what's going on with my command worksheet uh in route to the call i may be filling filled in some phone calls from uh from superior officers you know who knows who knows what's going on but uh uh, and then when we arrive on the scene, if if I'm not comfortable with the uh, with the follow up report and 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 the the 360s, not what I think it was or or maybe something's changed and, and I need to get another 360, I can deploy that chief's aid. And I know uh, that he can get that walk around in and come back and give me the information that I'm looking for. So there's that aspect. And then once they come back to the car, if, if they even leave the car, um, they usually, they're usually my accountability officer. That's our first level of accountability. Uh, we also run accountability at the division level. Um, but for an overall strategic command, if that division supervisor is not deployed, then we have, we, we run accountability, uh, at the command post. So they, they usually are, uh, take, they usually take charge of that. Uh, also, all of our chief saves are also uh, certified drone pilots. We have a drone program in the county. And uh, so if we have like a, say, a big box and uh, and I need to uh, and need to get an all four sides view or, or take a look at what's going on from an aerial perspective or something like that, uh, the aide can deploy the drone and fly that. And uh, so we can get eyes on that also. Are you using them as an embedded safety officer if you're deployed to a division, if you're a later arriving chief? Yes, that's correct. We also do that as well. And they uh, they maintain that uh, that accountability at the division level. So when it comes to like lining up with the whole uh, command president, presence, confidence, all of those things, how does like really knowing what's going on and what people are saying affect that, impact that? What it really comes down to, I mean, you said you just said something about the drone, right? I mean, if you get the drone in the air, that's another set of eyes, right? If right. you got a division boss forward. It's like, okay, I feel a little bit different maybe about that. Like they can see, you know, some things differently. So we've all probably had that feeling like what's really going on here. I'm trying to figure it out. It doesn't look like what I'm hearing or it doesn't, you know, something just doesn't right. line up. So how does that really uh, impact 
the whole the whole command presence thing like i think it, it just it boosts off all the, all three of the c's that we were just talking about you know it increases it increases your confidence because you've got a senior you've got a senior officer or, or a chief officer deployed forwardly uh as a division supervisor uh it increases your it can increase your confidence by having that person uh, deployed and know that that person can get the job done uh, it also can increase your confidence by having a drone deployed so that you can keep a constant watch on what's going on on all four sides of the building. Uh, those things are amazing. They'll, they'll actually even, you can just hit a button and they'll fly a continuous 360 uh, around the building for you so that you can get a, a continuous picture. It's, it's unbelievable the technology that we have now. Uh, I've just been told the other day we're going to be uh, enhancing that program. Now we're going to actually going to get them with uh, FLIR uh, capabilities and, and all other kind of stuff. But it also, you know, and, and, more than anything, I would say, though, going back to the division supervisor piece is that control, having that guy uh, or that uh, that chief officer there at that on that alpha side or Charlie side or whatever, controlling that the flow of personnel as they're assigned in and out of that structure. That's huge. Even even bigger when a May Day happens and and. You know, God forbid, you know, the worst day of our, our careers, having that person standing at the door saying, hey. I'm the gatekeeper, you know, and I've got this situation and I'm handling it, man. What, uh, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. You guys got a ton of good, really good things going on there. So, uh, I do want you to talk a little bit about changing gears slightly, what you guys are doing with your command training center and what, what's going on with that. Well, yeah, we just, uh, we just completed, uh, uh, the construction of our, uh, command lab is what we, as, as we call it. Uh, there it's that we we actually remodeled our uh, our training center. We were sharing it with uh, the PD for years, and and they moved out and got their own training center. We, so we were able to renovate the entire building, and and with that we took the old uh, the old tactical room where they used to uh, it was covered in in mats where they used to fight and tumble. We turned it into our command lab, and uh, we actually took the front cab off of a reserve apparatus. Uh, and mounted it inside the lab. So there, the, you start out when, and when you're when you're going through a scenario. If you're that initial company officer, you actually start out in the cab of the vehicle, and there's a big screen TV that you look through the through the windshield, and you give your initial radio report based on what you see on the screen. And then you get out and you walk around the room, and and as you walk around the room, you're getting your your 360 different sides of the building, and then you give your follow up report. Uh, and then um, you can move to a to another location, and and as units come in, they get assigned, and they go to these little breakout rooms that they can they can sit in where everybody's quiet, and you can you, you know radio traffic's not bleeding over one another, and and uh, it's just it's uh, it's a great facility for that. It actually even has the capability too. We have a roll up door in there where we can actually pull the battalion chief's vehicle inside the lab and run and run a scenario from the inside of the battalion chief's vehicle uh, inside the lab itself. It's a uh, Really awesome. I just uh, uh, I've got some good video footage uh, that I shot of it that I'll be uh, I'll be putting on display at uh, at my class uh, at the conference so everybody can see it. That's awesome. I think so many of those things you identified there, like I mean, that company officer actually being in the front seat of a fire truck and having the similar tools and, and being in that position, you know, it's the training and context thing, right? So I mean, maybe initial IC certification, you know, it, it maybe not be so important there when you're into that crawl phase, but you know, when you're doing continuing education and, and continuing to grow the system and looking for that continuous improvement, when you can put people into the near, near, nearly to be in positions like they'd be in going to a fire, you in a battalion car with your aid, seeing a screen, 
using all the tools that you have. I mean, I, that that's that's awesome. I mean, you guys are doing, you know, great, great work with that. Steve, is there anything else you want folks to know about uh, the three C's or anything else that we missed while, well, while talking to you today? I think it's important to talk about the two-dimensional aspects of, of all of these. Uh, and when I say two-dimensional, I mean, not only does the IC himself have to have competence, confidence and control, but the people that you are leading, you know, the people in your battalion, the people in your organization, they have to have competence. They have to know the system just as just as well as you do. They have to have confidence in themselves that they can do the job. They also have to have confidence in you as 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 their leader, as their incident commander, that you're going to be able to to get on scene and, and get it sorted out. And, and, and get it done. Uh, and they also have to have, uh, they have to know that you're going to get control. Uh, I think that's, that's the big point there. Um, but it's a two way street, you know, not only is it the, the, the IC or the, or that chief officer that has to have those three qualities, but I think the people that you lead have to have, have to possess those as well. I want to hit on something on that. How do you feel about the whole, so we always talk about active listening, right? The strategic IC has to be doing active listening. So what do you what does it do to your companies or what kind of feedback do you get from people or what do you i mean you might not get any feedback from them if, if i know you do a great job but if you don't answer them or you constantly have to say unit with traffic what do you think that does to their mindset about you wow that's a good question i'll uh I know that you in in the audio that you, that you'll hear at the conference, you know, from the successful rescue, you know, there's one officer in particular, uh, you know, he he's a great officer. He makes good decisions, but he he oftentimes he gets a little hyped up. He talks a little fast on the radio. And and I think there's even one point in the audio where you, you'll hear me say command to that unit, slow down, say it again, you know, because you, you, you can't understand him. You know, I think active listening is uh, it's paramount for uh, for a strategic incident commander. Uh, it's very difficult for for an initial incident commander to uh, to 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 have that capability uh, because he's actually on the line. He's interior. He's doing the work. Um, but I think for a strategic incident commander, it, it's absolutely essential. I know one one thing I have and anybody that works in my battalion would tell you this is that chief don't want you coming to the car. You know, because everybody wants to come to the car. And that's that's kind of where, the, if, if you've seen my video advertisement <laughs> for the conference, that's kind of where that came from, uh, is everybody wants to come to the car and chit-chat with the chief. And that's my, that's my, like, number one rule on the scene. Do not come to the car. And that's, a, that's another job that my aide does is when that someone comes to the car, my aide is like, hey, come over here. He doesn't want to talk to you because I'm, I've, I've got my headset on and I'm concentrated and I'm laser focused uh, on the incident and I don't want to be disturbed. Uh, and they all and they all know that and they give me a hard time about it, but that's OK. But if you just let me go in there, I could solve the whole problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Chief, we could do this. You know, if you just let me do this, we'll we'll get this taken care of for you. Yeah, exactly. So I think I, uh, so. I, the point I, I was really, I guess, trying to d- drive to because we hear it so often all over the place with traffic is engine 17, the command. No answer. The second time there's a little bit more aggression, right? And the engine 17 to command, right? And then by the third time, it's almost like the company gave up. They're like, yeah. okay, what are they really doing, right? And I mean, they're losing confidence, right? The exactly. companies are losing yeah. confidence. And it's like, and like we talk about all the time, if you're the IC and you're missing that traffic, then you just missed the mayday. Every time that happens, I tell people, you just missed the mayday. And yeah. we all know, like it, it comes out one time, 
oftentimes, right? I mean, oftentimes it comes out one time. And if you're not focused and doing active listening, you're going to miss it. So yeah. I mean, that, that, that that's just a, a piece of it, right? And then the other side, you know, what you talked about, you know, somebody gets a little, a little amped up, stoked up, talks fast, you know, whatever. Uh, that just comes back to the training thing, I think, right? But right. You, you just have to have those conversations. They slow down, but, you know, some of us just don't have that. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I'm one of the few incident commanders in our organization that actually use a headset inside the vehicle. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not much of a it's not as much of a uh, of a noise canceling thing for me or is it just makes me pay attention. Mm-hmm. Having that having that headset on my head, it it forces me to listen to the radio where if I didn't have it, I think I would probably be more likely to like wander and talk to my aide or or, you know, or if my uh, if my support officer climbs in the back seat, you know, and, you know, it might I might be more like more apt to talk to him or or her or whatever. And, and, but having that headset on my head, it, it, it forces me to focus on my listening. That's just me. And that's our job. That's a huge part of our job as strategic ICs is active listening for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I totally agree. You know, you take that crew, you were talking about engine 17, you know, that if they, if they have to call me three times and they, they can't get an answer, what are they thinking? They're thinking, well, if I have a mayday, is he going to hear me? Oh yeah. That's terrible. I, I would never want my my folks to think that. Mm-hmm. Battalion Chief Steve Lester, Cobb County, thank you so much for being on B-Shifter today. We look forward to seeing you at the conference in Cincinnati, October 5th and 6th. You can still register, so the, the link to that is in our show notes. And I want to thank you, too, for not only sharing today and everything that you shared with uh, B-Shifter prior, but also all the audio. I mean, it's giving us some really good examples of application of blue card in a sensibly aggressive fire department where you guys are getting the job done, doing it very well, and and just continuing to develop that with all of your people. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today and uh, everything you've shared in the past. Thank you. Well, thank you, Josh and John. I'm I'm really, uh, really appreciative for you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to leave it better than I found it, man. That's, that's what it's all about. And uh, if we can, whatever we can learn from uh, audio wise or, or, or video wise, helmet cams, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's how we're learning these days. Cause like I said, we're just not going to the fires that we used to go to. And so, uh, we have to, uh, we have to share with others so that others can learn, uh, from our successes and our failures. So thanks for having me on. I look forward to seeing everybody in Cincinnati. Yeah. We'll see you next month. See you guys. Thank you.